Welcome back to the Der Show. You may see different surroundings from usual. I'm in Tel Aviv, Israel, and uh, I'm here for a little while to meet the leaders of the new government and to speak at a couple of conferences and uh, been speaking to a lot of uh, Israelis and uh, learning, learning a lot. The one thing I learned is that um, even a victim can sometimes do awful, awful things. And Ukraine is guilty of that right now. They are victims and we're all on their side. Something like 98% of Israelis uh, support um, Ukraine over Russia and most Americans, of course, support uh, Ukraine over Russia. We all want Russia to be defeated in its um, uh, aggression, um, unjustified aggression. But Ukraine is doing some just terrible, terrible things that shouldn't be excused just because of what they've been going through. The worst thing they've done is they are now honoring uh, two very, very notorious Nazis, uh, people who during the Second World War were hands-on war criminals who participated directly in the death of hundreds of thousands of Jewish babies and and children and, and mothers. These are some of the most wicked, vile people on the face of the earth. And now Ukraine is honoring them. And Zelensky, who's Jewish, whose who's family members were killed in the Holocaust, is honoring them. There's just no excuse for it. There is a lot of Nazism still left among Ukrainians. There's a whole brigade of uh, Ukrainian soldiers that, that wear Nazi symbols. And People are afraid to take them on uh, about it. Um, just because there are racists in a country doesn't mean that you have to give in to their racism and certainly not honor, not honor Nazis. And we're not talking about neo-Nazis, people who parade, people who wear swastikas. That's one thing. We're talking about hands-on mass murderers, people who essentially assisted in what happened at Babi Yar. In Babi Yar, tens of thousands of Jews were marched to open graves and shot in cold blood. The shooting was done by the Nazis, but who brought them there were Ukrainians. And I'm not talking about even the average Ukrainian now. Even the average Ukrainian who supported Nazis, many did, most did, in fact, during the Second World War. I'm talking about the leaders. I'm talking about those who worked with Hitler, and with Goebbels and with Goering and with Eichmann and with uh, uh, the, the most terrible people in the history of the world. These people are now being honored. Now, they joined some pretty awful people being honored in Ukraine. A man named Khmelnytsky, who led a massacre of Jews uh, several hundred years ago, uh, has a statue of him in the middle of, of, of Kiev. Uh, and, and, and people don't object to it. You know, in America, we object when there are statues uh, that commemorate people who own slaves. It's, it's, it's awful to own slaves. But the idea that, that, that Kiev, that Ukraine, that Zelensky, continues to honor a man like Khmelnytsky, he's on the $5 bill. And he is famous for having massacred um, Jewish children and women and, and men. This kind of thing can't be forgotten, and it certainly can't be honored. Um, and let me give you a perfect example of, of the chutzpah of, of Ukrainian leadership. So when they decided to honor these 
bastards, sorry for the direct use of the word. I mean, I think it actually way, way understates that. When they decided to honor these horrible, horrible people, the Ukrainian ambassador to Israel had the nerve, the chutzpah, to tell the Israeli government, mind your own business. Stay out of this. This is a domestic matter. This only concerns us. No, no, no. When you kill hundreds of thousands of Jews, when you participate in the murder of six million Jews, that's not a domestic matter. That's a matter that the Jewish community in the world should care deeply about. Slavery in the United States was not purely a domestic matter. Um, genocides that occur in other parts of the world, they're not domestic matters. And when you honor Nazis and when you honor Nazism and honor the murder of so many people, that's not just a, a, a domestic issue. Israel has every right as the nation state of the Jewish people to strongly object to the honoring of, of Nazis. And yet the ambassador from Ukraine to Israel tried to, tried to attack uh, Israel for mind, not minding its own business. You know, with one breath, the ambassador from Ukraine attacks Israel for getting involved in trying to prevent the honoring of Nazis. And in another breath, the same ambassador says, but Israel, you have to put your own security at risk by providing us with um, uh, weapons, um, sophisticated weapons like, like Iron Dome. I'll get back in a minute to why it's very difficult for Israel to, to do that. But that, that, that's what Ukraine is doing. On the one hand, they're demeaning the memory of hundreds of thousands of Jews murdered by Ukrainians and murdered at the behest of Ukrainian leaders that are now being honored. And on the other hand, they're saying to Israel, you have no right not to put your security at risk by helping us. An incredible chutzpah. Now to, to top off this, this incredible chutzpah, there was a vote at the UN last week, um, a one-sided anti-Israel vote, totally one-sided, typical. You know, it was Abi Ibn who once said in the General Assembly, if you um, uh, issued a proclamation saying that um, the world was flat and Israel flattened it, it would win 126 to 28 with 33 abstentions. That's what happened uh, here. It was a one-sided vote. Almost all of Europe either voted against it or abstained. But you know who voted for it? You know which country? Two countries voted for it. Two countries voted for it in Europe. Major countries voted for it. Russia and Ukraine. That's one thing Russia and Ukraine have in common anti-Israel, anti-Semitism, the idea that Ukraine would vote with Russia and against Israel, and at the same time demand of Israel that they give it weapons is unbelievable. Yeah, they're victims, but victimization doesn't give you a right to be totally, thoroughly immoral. And that's what's going on today in, in Ukraine. You know, Zelensky is making it very hard for a lot of people to support Ukraine, we all want to support Ukraine. Why are you making it so much more difficult to do so by engaging in such immoral behavior? It, 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 it boggles the mind. Is there any rational reason why Ukraine should join Russia and most of the third world Arab and other uh, high, highly left-wing countries in condemning Israel at the UN while at the same time you're asking Israel for help. Israel has provided a, a, 
enormous amounts of humanitarian aid to Ukraine. They sent in doctors and nurses and medical equipment. An organization that I'm on the board of called United Hatzalah had people on the ground in Ukraine taking care of injured women and children within days of the invasion. Um, per capita, probably Israel has provided more humanitarian aid than uh, virtually any other country in the world. But that's not enough for Ukraine. They want Israel to send its most sophisticated weapons. Okay, that, that, you have a right to ask for the most sophisticated weapons, but you don't have the right to demand them at the same time that you're voting against Israel at the UN with Russia, and at the same time that you're honoring Nazis who killed the parents and grandparents of Israeli citizens. No, you don't have the right to do that. And let me explain to you why you're asking a lot from Israel. Israel has provided um, a great deal of material to, to uh, Ukraine, but they haven't provided um, some of the most sophisticated weapons for two reasons. Number one, if you provide sophisticated weapons to Ukraine, it will end up in the hands of Iran, Israel's arch enemy sworn to its destruction. Why? Because whenever you send weapon systems to a country at war with another country, Ukraine at war with Russia, Russia will capture some of those weapons. It's inevitable. Russia is the closest ally of Iran. They're exchanging. Iran is giving drones to Russia. Russia is giving all kinds of military equipment to Iran. So one thing is 100% certain. If Israel were to send any of its sophisticated weapon systems, systems that are needed to defend against a potential Iranian nuclear attack, those systems would end up reverse engineered and in the hands of Israel's arch enemy, a country sworn to the destruction of Israel. And so don't expect, don't expect Israel to commit military suicide to help any country, but certainly not to help a country that has shown no appreciation whatsoever for the enormous amount of humanitarian aid that has, has been uh, sent. And there are, there, are, there are other reasons as well. Uh, Israel is playing a very, very close game with Russia. Russia has some uh, weapon systems that has not, have not yet been deployed in Syria. Remember, Israel uh, is at war with Syria, has always been at war with Syria. Um, and, and Russia is now Syria's uh, strongest defender, almost only defender. Uh, without Syria, without Russia, Syria would, would, uh, would be nowhere. They would um, uh, cease to exist as a country really have ceased in many ways to exist as a country, but literally would cease to exist as a country. Russia uh, provides air cover for Syria. Uh, Russia and Israel coordinate what Israel is allowed to do and not do. Remember that Iran is sending weapons via Syria um, to Hezbollah in, in uh, Lebanon to attack Israeli civilians. And Israel has the right to interdict those kinds of weapons, and they're doing so uh, in Syria with a kind of rapprochement with Russia. And Russia has made it clear to the Israelis that if you start sending sophisticated weapons to our enemy, the Ukraine, we will stop dealing with you in this kind of more or less neutral way in Syria. And, and you just can't ask a country to commit military or political 
uh, suicide. And you especially can't demand that of that country. I mean, Zelensky spoke to the parliament of Israel, to the Knesset, and said one of the nastiest, stupidest things that any leader has ever said. He looked the Israelis in the eye. These are children and grandchildren of Holocaust survivors and said, 80 years ago, the Ukrainian people made a decision and the decision was to save Jews. Now you owe us. You have to save Ukrainians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 80 years ago, Ukrainians made a decision and it was to murder Jews. It was to become complicit with Nazism. The Ukrainians were among the worst Nazi collaborators in all of Europe. Ukrainian guards were the people who took people to the death chambers, the gas chambers in, in Auschwitz. Ukrainians murdered Jews even before the gas chambers uh, on the streets of, of Kiev and on the streets of other parts of, of Ukraine. They didn't even wait in some instances for the Nazis to come. They just took advantage of the fact that the Nazis were on the way and murdered Jewish children, as they had over the centuries. So don't lecture Jews and don't lecture Israel about what Israel owes Ukraine. Israel owes Ukraine nothing, nothing. Israel owes the Ukrainian people nothing. Israel has very generously given from its own treasury enormous amounts of money and resources because it chose to, because it is a decent country, not a country that will hold grudges because of what Ukraine did. But don't lecture, don't lecture Israel about what its obligation to Ukraine is. Israel has no obligation to Ukraine. Ukraine has enormous obligations to the Jewish people and to the nation state of the Jewish people for what it did to them. Thousand, uh, millions, th hundreds of thousands of people murdered just 80 years ago. And so, yeah, you're victims. Yeah, we hope you win. Yeah, we're gonna do what we can to help you. But um, you're making it much harder. You're making it much more difficult for Jews, for Israelis, for Americans to give with open arms and an open heart. Um, we all want Russia to lose. Uh, Russia is the villain here. and We know that. The question is, are the Ukrainians the good guys? They're the victims. But are they the good guys? Uh, you can be victims without being good guys. Uh, there have been many instances of that in history. I want to see Ukraine emerge as the good guys, but you got to stop what you're doing. You got to stop honoring Nazis. You've got to stop voting against Israel at the United Nations. You've got to stop lying about your past and the relationship with Israel. And you've got to stop saying, oh, Zelensky's Jewish, so we can't do anything wrong in relation to Israel or to the Jewish people. Yeah, you can. You can. Just because the president of a country happens to be of Jewish background or origin doesn't mean you can get away with this kind of chutzpah and hypocrisy. And so... I hope that we'll see better behavior on the part of Ukraine. We understand you're going through terrible, terrible times. We understand the crisis you're undergoing. We want you to be safe. We want to help. But you have to do your part, too. And so far, Ukraine has not been doing its part. 
So I want to hear from you about that. It's a complicated issue. It's a difficult issue. But it's another example of Israel being treated so differently from the rest of the world. After all, the United States has Iron Dome, uh, its own version of Iron Dome. It could send it to uh, Ukraine. The United States hasn't been sending their number one great, uh, um, most sophisticated weapon systems to Ukraine, neither has France, uh, neither has England, uh, neither has NATO. And, and to apply a double standard to Israel saying you haven't done enough um, and, and without recognizing the difficult choice Israel has to make in relation to an existential enemy, Iran, and, and an existential threat, Russia, is to apply a double standard. And Ukraine has been applying a double standard to Jews um, over the millennia. It has to stop now. So send me your letters and let me know. I got a lot of letters. Uh, I'll just summarize um, uh, four of them. Um, one of them was very nice. It just says, thank you so much for uh, answering um, these people, and including some of the people whose uh, letters really don't deserve to be answered, but you do it with humor, they say, and with uh, equanimity. And I appreciate that. Uh, I enjoy uh, responding to intelligent, thoughtful letters, but I also think it's necessary to respond to uh, letters that are less thoughtful and less intelligent. And I, I get I get plenty of those. Um, and so uh, uh, keep writing and I'll answer all the letters. I'll always try to combine uh, thoughtful, intelligent letters, letters that I might agree with, with letters that I uh, disagree with. A lot of you wrote me letters um, congratulating me on, quote, my victory in the um, Gouffre case, the woman who made a totally false, made-up accusation uh, against uh, me. You know, congratulations aren't really in order. This never should have happened. Um, it uh, has, for eight years, uh, been hanging over my head. I'm, I'm glad it's uh, over. Um, I would have preferred to go to trial and have a judge and a jury uh, determine the outcome of, uh, of the case. But um, my family and my friends and my lawyers all said I had to accept her statement that um, she was young and she was under pressure and she was abused. And so she now recognizes, recognizes after eight years, she now recognizes that she may have made a mistake and misidentified me. It was someone else. But she said, oh, it must have been Alan Dershowitz. Uh, maybe somebody misidentified her to me. Maybe somebody said, oh, that's Alan Dershowitz. It was one of Jeffrey Epstein's friends. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I'm glad she um, finally acknowledged uh, that she recognizes that she may have made a mistake. Pretty darn serious mistake. People have gone to the death penalty based on mistakes like that. And, you know, I was never obviously investigated or prosecuted. I asked to be investigated by the FBI because I wanted the whole truth to come out. But uh, no prosecutor would ever have uh, investigated me based on the allegation uh, made by her. And you can read my book, Guilt by Accusation, to learn the whole story about that. But I appreciate it. I want to thank all of you who congratulated me. Many of you said you knew it was false all along and you never believed it, um, but some people believed it. There are some people out there who still believe it. A number of the letters said, how much did you pay her? Well, no, 
Not one single penny. I promise you that. Not one single penny. I never, ever would have paid one penny to somebody who made a mistake or may have made a mistake uh, and caused me the kind of grief that she caused me over a year. So there was no money paid uh, what whatsoever. She just acknowledged that um, she now recognized she had made a mistake. She dropped her lawsuit uh, against me. Um, and uh, I had only a counterclaim against her. So, of course, that was, was dropped as well. Counterclaims generally are dropped when the original claim is dropped as well. So I appreciate those of you who sent me nice, nice letters. Uh, I got a number of letters saying that the real winner in the um, election um, was DeSantis, the uh, second term now governor of, of Florida, that he emerged really victorious, uh, more so than Trump. Trump, a number of the candidates that Trump supported lost, a number of them won. It was a mixed picture for Trump, and DeSantis really emerged very strongly. Um, I had the opportunity to have dinner with DeSantis shortly after he was elected. The first time a friend of mine who was a friend of his invited my wife and I just to have a small dinner with six of us at his home. And um, I was quite taken by him. So was my wife. He graduated Harvard. He graduated Yale. He seemed very smart. His wife seemed very smart. They were interested in education and the environment. Um, and then, of course, uh, he became much, much more right wing and uh, much more conservative on issues that I, I care about. Um, I maintain an open mind uh, toward him. Uh, he is likely to become uh, a candidate for president of the United States, if not um, two years from now, um, then six years from now. I don't think he's going to run against Trump. I don't know. Um, uh, as this broadcast uh, is made, we, we don't know for absolute certain what Trump's future plans are, whether he'll be nominated um, but uh, if, if, he, if he doesn't run, DeSantis will uh, obviously run and will be a front runner, along with Nikki Haley and Mike Pompeo and probably some others. So, um, yeah, DeSantis is a real winner uh, in the election. And uh, uh, let's, let's see if that winning streak continues. Trump made a veiled threat against him, saying, oh, if you run against me, stuff will come out that you'll be, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll not be happy that I brought stuff out against you. It was a veiled, not so veiled threat. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happened. Um, uh, you know, Trump has been very tough on his uh, opponents in primaries, you know, lying Ted and little uh, Marco and uh, name calling of that kind. So it, it, it remains to be seen what, what, um, what will emerge from the Republican Party? It remains to be seen what will emerge from the Democrat Party. Uh, um, obviously, uh, President Biden has said that he intends to run, but he has to have some time to talk to his wife and think it through. And um, my own view is that a lot depends on who runs for the Republicans. I think if Trump runs for the Republicans, Biden runs for the Democrats and Biden beats Trump. That's my view. If, on the other hand, DeSantis runs, not Trump, then maybe Biden doesn't run because then it would be a really youthful, vigorous uh, 40-something-year-old against an 80-something-year-old. And um, uh, he might think it better, and the Democrats might think it better to try to put up 
uh, a candidate um, younger and more more vigorous than than to oppose a young and more vigorous candidate? I don't know the answer to that question, and um, uh, over time we'll learn it. Okay, I got a letter saying the United States is doomed. It's over. It's only a question of time. No way. You know, we've been through a lot of stress tests. You know, banks are put through stress tests. They're, they're tested to see whether, if the worst case scenario occurs, they can still pay off their lenders. Obviously, the recent situation with um, uh, cryptocurrency shows that they haven't put through stress tests. And it will be a lot of people who've lost a lot of money, including some pension funds and institutions, for betting on cryptocurrency, something I always had my my doubts about. And, um, um, you know, there are a lot of people out there who don't like government regulation, and so they were in favor of cryptocurrency. Now they wish there was some government regulation. Obviously, in a complex area like cryptocurrency or stocks or bonds, you need some regulation. You don't want over-regulation, but you need some regulation, and I think that probably... Uh, shows it. So the United States has been put through some stress tests. January 6th was a stress test. We passed it. We passed it with flying colors. The vote was taken. The vote was fair. Um, Pence didn't give in. Uh, he stood by his constitutional obligations. We passed this stress test like we passed every stress test in our history other than slavery. We failed that test and it took a civil war, not uh, the Constitution or the rule of law to undo the, the horrors of, of slavery. But in general, we've passed every stress test, World War I and World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War. Very divisive, very difficult, sometimes really the wrong wars. But we've passed the stress test, so we're not doomed. We're going to do just fine. I worry about the future. I worry about the young people today in college with cancel culture. I worry about them having an intolerance toward different ideas. I worry about them not believing in, in due process. They're our future leaders. But we have a system of checks and balances, and it, it manages to, to cause survival. Now, checks and balances, separation of powers, are not means toward efficiency. Uh, when you have a divided Congress, one house by one party, one house by the other party, presidency in the hands of one group, the judiciary, at least the Supreme Court, largely in the hands of another group. It is not a mechanism designed for quick and efficient action the way the parliamentary system is. It was designed to prevent tyranny. It was designed to prevent a country from being doomed. And I think our system will survive, and I think our country will survive and maintain its status as the greatest country in the world. Um, and the best proof of it is everybody wants to come here you know, the immigration issue. You can argue all you want about immigration, but no one can deny that it's the one country in the world that everybody wants to come to. And that's why we have immigration problems. That's why we have to impose some constraints on immigration because we're such a great country and because everybody wants to come here. So we're, we're, not, we're not doomed. Related to that was the last question I'm going to talk about now. Uh, a number of the letters said, ah, uh, another stolen election. No, come on, stop using that uh, fake analysis. There were close elections. There were some elections with some problems. 
as you know, I don't love absentee voting and paper ballots that are sent from envelopes that are not watched when you when you sign them. I have questions about some of the machines. Um, I would rather see a system where everybody votes on election day uh, with machines and backup paper ballots, uh, except people who are uh, challenged physically or or in the army or away for good and sufficient reasons. But the norm should still be you take your kids to the polling station, you show them what a election is like, you talk about the American history and the Constitution. In some places, they allow you to bring your six-year-old, your eight-year-old, your 10-year-old with you into the, into the polling booth. You pull your lever, you mark your ballot. That's America. I wish we didn't give that up. I wish we didn't so easily succumb to the convenience of early voting, absentee voting. I don't like it. It helps bring out some voters. Um, but uh, it raises concerns, and, and concerns are, are right. But for people to continue to say, as many of my letters said now, it was a rigged election, it was unfair, there are no fair elections in countries, George Soros decides who's going to be the next congressperson and the next senator and the next president, you know, these kinds of conspiracy theories, they're not going to doom the country, but they're certainly not going to help the country. And so um, I'll continue to um, report uh, from, from Israel. I just got here. Um, and so I'll get a better feel for the country and uh, not going to focus on Israel in, in my reporting. I'm going to focus on legal and political issues in America, as I always do. But I'll give you some insights into um, uh, this great country, this wonderful country. I had a falafel for lunch today. You wouldn't believe it was so big. We saved some of it for dinner and we just we just loved it. So um, regards from falafel land and uh, see you soon.